from the book of James, chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed of the wind. See, blown and tossed of the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Good morning. Hi there, my name is Ardellis Green. We're in the book of James, so you're going to need one of those Bibles to follow along. We're going to go old school and begin to teach directly from the book of James through the next 10 weeks. And there's nothing more certain than you will go through ups and downs, highs and lows, times when you have money, and times when you're broke, times when you're really busy at work, and times when you get a breather times when you're healthy, and times when you deal with sickness. Nothing's more certain to me than we will pass through trials. When trials hit our life, often we are quite unprepared for them. Sort of like the tornado that touches down, we didn't see it coming, or if, it was, if we were in its path, we couldn't get out of its way. Instinctively, almost the first question we ask when we're in a trial is, you know the question, why? <laughs> why now? Why me? <laughs> why him? Why her? Why them? One of the reasons why we do life together here intentionally in community is we know that we all pass through trials. We need to gain perspective on them and have support in the midst of them. Some of you here aren't believers. Now, your parents, you may have been raised in a Christian home. You um, may be working with a believer. Maybe somebody you work with brought you here this morning. Or your sister, your brother is a follower of Jesus, but you aren't really sure yet, really, to follow him. I hope that over these next few weeks in James, God speaks to you. But I'm confident that James really does speak to us about what is genuine faith? And there's two typical reactions to suffering. 
The first of which is that the more religious a person is when they are suffering, they'll ask the question, what did I do wrong? You've asked that question, haven't you? Religious people pretty much see suffering as punishment from a punishing God. Now, what a religious person does when they're suffering is say something like, I need to start going back to church, right? I need to start reading my Bible more. And there's nothing wrong with church. We gather in Jesus' name to worship Him, let our affections swell toward God. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible. That's God's Word speaking to us. But a religious person believes that if I push the right buttons, maybe the suffering will stop. The second response overall I see to suffering is what I call cynicism. It wouldn't surprise me this morning if you have some degree of cynic in you. Now, see, religious people see suffering to be punishment, but cynical people see suffering as the randomness of life. To a cynic, life is more of a crapshoot. You see, to a religious person, if something good is happening to me, I must be doing something good, sort of like the Sound of Music soundtrack, right? Something good is happening to me because I did something good. My behavior causes good things to happen. But if something bad is happening to me, I must be doing something bad. But to a cynic, when bad things are happening, when a person decides they don't want to be married anymore, when somebody gets into a major car wreck, when somebody suffers from a disease, this goes to prove there isn't a God. Trials, the cynic argues, shouldn't be happening in this world. It isn't right, it isn't fair that good people should ever suffer. If there really was a God of love, He doesn't allow suffering. If God is all-powerful, the cynic argues, why doesn't He do something about this world? So they would say this proves there is no God. To heck with the notion that God allows suffering. I prefer to believe that life is random, that life is more of a crapshoot. I'm often asked the question, and James is going to get into it in just a moment, how do we deal with the trials of our life? We have them, don't we? Don't you have trials? Trials at work, trials in your family, trials with your health. They come one by one. They come to us in waves, right? Sometimes we can look from the shore and see this wave kind of mounting up, this trial that's brewing, right? None of us ever escapes them. For me in my life, trials have shaped me, and they have formed me, and they have changed me, and they have refined my life. I can say without question the biggest trial in Debbie and I's married life happened in the year 1991. Debbie was traveling down Route 32 on the way to the beach, and somebody went across the center line and hit her head on, going 70 miles an hour. Stopped her dead in her tracks. Her mother was taken immediately to heaven. Debbie suffered major injuries, as well as my son Chris. And her family was plunged into a major trial. Life is filled with personal trials. There are definitely trials that you are 
going through now. You know, life is sort of like either we're, we've just come through a trial, we're in the midst of a trial, or we're getting ready to go into another trial, okay? So the question becomes, how do we deal with these trials? How do we face trials? You know, how do we face the life that has so much disappointment in it, okay? So, now to our notes. There is nothing more certain to me than you're going to go through good and bad times. What is uncertain about our trials is whether we're going to face them with joy. Now, how many of you all would associate the word trial with joy? Nobody. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that James, when he begins his letter, as Bob read so beautifully, he begins by saying, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, brothers, speaking to believers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This was a circular circular letter sent to Christians that had been scattered because of persecution. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, but he does not identify himself as the half-brother of Jesus. He identifies himself as a servant. There was a time when James had nothing to do with Jesus, actually went to get him, stood outside the door. James really wasn't a believer while Jesus ministered, but something happened in the resurrection where Jesus appeared to James, and James became an ardent follower of Jesus. If you aren't suffering for your faith, you are among the few Christians in the world who aren't suffering. These believers were being uprooted, being arrested, being persecuted, refugees. And, you know, there wasn't, when you lost your home and you lost your business, there wasn't a corporation hiring, right, in some other city. There wasn't an ATM to go to to get money from. They were suffering great poverty. So what he's writing about here is how to endure trials as a follower of Jesus Christ. It begins in verse 2 talking about trials, and then it talks in verse 12 about the blessing of trial, if you'll see it. How do you take the troubles of this life and let them become a blessing to you? Did you know that a jeweler when he tests the genuineness of a diamond, there's something called the water test. An imitation and a genuine diamond, side by side, look pretty much exactly alike. But when you take the imitation diamond and put it underwater, it loses its fire, whereas a genuine diamond underwater still is brilliant and sparkles. So if two people profess faith, When they go underwater, when life becomes difficult, when they get sick, when they pass through something like divorce, when they suffer a setback, then their faith really begins to shine. The true child of God shines like a beautiful diamond in the midst of adversity. James is one of the earliest letters we have. Most likely, James wrote in the 40s. He's writing to a 
Christian audience scattered everywhere. They could have been saved at Pentecost, but persecution broke out against the church just after the stoning of Stephen. So the central issue in the book of James is, what does genuine faith look like? And the answer is here that trials are a test of our faith to produce endurance inside of us. Job said that man is born of trouble as sparks fly upward, that man is born of a woman a few days full of trouble. How many of your lives would testify to that being true, that your life is just full of troubles? Life seems to be about trouble after trouble after trouble, but the truth is that God helps us in our troubles. I'm glad for that. Look at verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Question is, how then do we develop perseverance in our trials? The first answer is to cultivate a joyful attitude. If you view your Bible as your life textbook, you might want to circle that word consider. Consider it pure joy. He doesn't say, feel good about it. <laughs> he wants you to step back from the situation and think properly about this trial. The key is not to becoming bitter in the midst of your trial, but let the trial make you stronger. You see, what happens when a person catastrophizes is they're facing a trial and they're imagining the very worst to be happening. This is the end. Our worry can turns into anxiety, and our anxiety tends to intensify. You see, how I think impacts how I feel and what I do. He wants you to step back and get the bigger picture to believe that God is at work in the midst of your trial. Without being stretched, you can't get strong. And God wants you to get strong in the midst of your trial. Now, we don't want to deal with trials with a bunch of cliches. Because when a person's under trial, they're dealing with stress and anguish, and there's nothing wrong with being stressed or dealing with anguish, right? When we go through trials, often we feel enormous amounts of stress within. But he's saying consider it pure joy, right? Feelings to us are like the smoke alarm right, that goes off. If you're cooking up bacon in the kitchen, you know, the smoke alarm may go off. Or if there's a fire in the kitchen, the smoke alarm definitely should go off, right? But they alert us to something that's going on deep inside of us. When you're passing through a trial, some of them are very scary experiences. And the emotional smoke alarm is going off. But the key is to get perspective on that. You can't control your feelings but you can control what you do with those feelings. And you can take a step back, right, and understand two things about trials. First is that Jesus predicted to us that in this world you will have tribulation. That tribulation is certainly going to come to us in this world. Sickness will come, disease will come, heartache will come, Jesus said that in this world, we will suffer tribulation. The second is a promise Jesus made. I want to show you out of John chapter 16 
and verse number 20. So hold your place there in James. And let's go back to John chapter 16 and verse 20. Jesus in the upper room. Just before he made that promise, in chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world we'll have tribulation, look at what Jesus said to us about joy. John 16, 20. I tell you the truth. Now, whenever you see Jesus saying, verily, verily, or I tell you the truth, this is worth underscoring, I tell you the truth. You will weep and you will mourn. What's he speaking about? He's talking there about the cross. Jesus has said that in a short while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me again. What Jesus is preparing his disciples for is the cross. When Jesus would be arrested, Jesus would be examined, and Jesus would be crucified. And when they reflected on the cross, that would cause for them weeping and mourning because of their deep feelings and attachment for Jesus. They didn't want him to go to the cross. They felt as if the cross was unfair for Jesus to endure. So this would cause weeping and mourning while the world rejoices. You see, for some who put Jesus to death, they rejoiced that Jesus was finally upon the cross. The religious establishment, the Romans, rejoiced that Jesus was being crucified. But your grief, he said, will turn to joy. And then he gives a story in verse 21 that I'm not sure every woman would agree with, but let's take it on anyhow. It says, when a woman gives birth to a child, she has pain, which we all would agree, right? That when a woman gives birth to a child, she has pain. It's part of the curse that a pain would increase in childbirth, right, of the fall of mankind. A woman giving birth to a child has pain. So she's focused upon having that child, and having the child produces pain, though epidurals seem to help a lot. But her, her, because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. You see, she's so focused upon having that child and going through the throes of childbirth, she's experiencing pain. But when the baby is born, the baby brings such enormous joy into her life that she forgets the pain of giving birth to that child. Now, those of your moms, how many of you agree with that? Mostly agree? I was quizzing my daughter about this verse, Betsy, who gave birth. She says, Dad, I'm not sure I completely have forgotten the pain of childbirth. <laughs> but Jesus is making the point that the, the focus of one's attention being the pain of childbirth begins to change into joy when the baby is born. Now, here's the principle, verse 22. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away, what? Your joy. What is he saying? The cross will give to you sorrow, lament, because of the unjustness of the cross. 
because of the pain of the cross, the unfairness of the cross. You see, the disciples, at least John, was there at the cross and saw Jesus crucified, and it gave him such incredible sorrow. But then, as you focus upon the cross and what Jesus did upon the cross, you'll have joy beyond measure. And no one will ever take away the joy. In fact, your sorrow will turn to joy, and no one will ever take away your joy. So in this world, you will face trials, right? You'll face difficulties. You'll deal with tragedies. You'll step into disappointments. You'll wrestle with sicknesses and disease. It's a matter of where our eyes are focused. If we're focused upon ourselves or our situation or our circumstance, it's so easy to become overwhelmed with sorrow, right, of a mistake we made or something that's happened. But if our focus is upon Jesus in the midst of the trial, the source of our joy, what happens in the midst of the trial is our joy wells up from within greater than our sorrow. That sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And I tell you again to rejoice. Rejoicing is a command of God that even in the midst of the hardest of situations, there is something good to rejoice in. The great love of God we sang about that is strong and powerful and flows to us. You see, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that we have a joy that enables us to go through the sorrows of life. Whoa. Cultivate a joyful attitude in the midst of troubles. You see, troubles are painful. And there's nothing that will touch us deeper than pain. Seeing your spouse deal with something like pancreatic cancer, watching your husband deal with chronic back pain, seeing your father wrestle through lymphoma, watching your children deal with disappointment, leukemia. Pain is tough to deal with. We want to take away somebody's pain. We would trade places in a heartbeat to be in their situation versus them. And Jesus understands troubles. At the grave of Lazarus, Jesus wept and he groaned. He cried about the death of his friend. James is telling us that our trials are a test of our faith. And if we persevere through that trial, we're going to be blessed. We're going to receive the crown of life. And there's different kinds of trials, aren't there? How about marriage? Anybody had any trials in marriage? You laugh. How about financial troubles? How about somebody not paying you? The trials of work. How about with kids? Any trials raising kids up? Hmm. Trials come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And we don't know exactly what the trials were they were dealing with in James' time, but we do know from the letter some of them weren't being paid. Weren't being paid. They're being exploited. 
Some of them were dealing with sickness. He said, lay hands upon them, pray over them. James seems doesn't to distinguish between internal trouble and external trouble. External trouble is things like being criticized, being talked about, somebody uh, betraying you, dealing with external conflicts. But he's saying the troubles are an inevitability in life. So the question isn't really, are you going to have tests and trials? The question is how are you going to respond to them? If underlying it all is Jesus in your life and Jesus is your source of joy, even in the midst of the trial you are in, God can give you joy. It's digging into your faith. How do we develop perseverance in trials? First thing is to cultivate a joyful attitude. The joy of, our, joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10, right? Bad things are going to happen to us, but we have a strong tower to turn to. You see, trials are either going to make you bitter or they're going to make you better. It just depends on your perspective of them. James is saying it is a sure bet that you are going to go through trials. What is unsure is whether you're going to face them with the joy of the Lord. And he says, okay, if you're going to go through a trial, I want you to consider something. And the word consider means to think forward. To let this roll through your mind. I was thinking about this principle this week as I was walking across the grass over in Middletown to the funeral service of a young man whose name was Patrick Schaefer. Patrick was 35 years old, driving his car about a week ago, and died early in the morning in a car crash. I thought about the fact I knew Patrick, and he was 35 years old. He had a wife and two boys. I thought about how hard it must be to be his widow, whose name is Amanda, or his two sons. I can't imagine what their life is now that is now like now, and they need our prayers. But then as I was walking over, my mind was thinking forward. You see, I knew that Patrick was a believer and that now he's in the presence of Jesus. He has seen the face of Jesus. Jesus, when he left, had gone to prepare a place for him. That his hope now has become realized. His faith has become sight. That he's no longer here on this earth, he's in the presence of Jesus. And what happened to me, and this is my sorrow was, the joy began welling up in my soul. And I think that's what it means when James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Let the joy of the Lord well up as you think about what is true. You see, God is sovereign. God rules over every situation. His time on earth was over, right? His assignment was complete. God is sovereign over the length of our days. And Jesus is pretty sweet. And when we lose something, we understand that he's greater than anything we've ever lost. And when we have something, he's greater than anything we ever have. So it's all about this relationship with Jesus, sweet Jesus, 
giving us joy on the inside part. Secondly, in regards to trials, I need to know that my faith is being tested. That's the second thing. First is cultivate a joyful attitude. Now I need to know that my faith is being tested. You see, before a welder becomes a welder, they have to be tested, right? Before a soldier becomes a soldier, the soldier has to be tested. Before a doctor becomes a doctor, the doctor must be tested. And before you come mature in your faith, your faith is surely going to be tested. Your faith will be tested upon this earth. And the testing of your faith is going to make you stronger. And when you persevere, which means to remain under, you get stronger. And when you get stronger, you develop something the Bible knows as maturity. What happens in the midst of a test is God is producing inside of you something called perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. To persevere means to keep on keeping on, right? To remain steadfast, to not fall away, to not look somewhere else, but to look to, to God for your help. A trial will help you get stronger, provided that you allow God to give you the grace to persevere through the trial with. First Peter says it this way, In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you have these trials in your life. Trials are definitely going to come, and they are the test of the genuineness of our faith. You ask, what's the question? What is this joy stuff all about? Joy is really the gladness of my soul that's produced by the Holy Spirit as He gives me the grace to persevere in the midst of the trial. Paul said, I've learned whatever situation I'm in to find contentment. We can be joyful beyond our suffering. So there's some number of things you need to know if you're in a trial. First off, you need to know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith is designed to make you a stronger person. And when you get this perseverance in your soul, you don't want to quit. You want to remain under the pressure. You develop something known as tenacity of spirit. What you need to know is that God is doing a work in your life. You say, God, can't you do that work some other way? <laughs> and the truth is, there's no other way to produce maturity in you than, in order that, than for your faith to be tested, to have to endure through the hard times. He's a sovereign God. And he will work in the life of every believer to achieve his purpose. I need to know that. And if I know that God is at work, there's joy inside me. Now, how many of you all signed up for Christianity believing that it was sort of a problem-free ride? What I thought is, when I become a believer, what I really want is a problem-free marriage or sort of a problem-free experience with my parents or a problem-free experience raising my children, or a problem-free experience at work. <laughs> Some believe <laughs> that
that the better I am, the less problems I have. That if I just can just be good enough, I can be exempted from problems. I can sort of get a free pass in problems. The Bible nowhere promises us a, prom, a problem-free life. If you signed up for a problem-free life, you signed up from the wrong salesman. <laughs> he was telling you a lie. Some people signed up for Christianity thinking they were signing up for this trouble-free life. People promise that Christianity is the gateway to a trouble-free life. So they say, dear Jesus, give me a trouble-free life. I think a better prayer is, God, work in my heart because I want what you want more than anything else in my life. I want you to form Jesus inside of me. I want you to give me grace in the midst of this trial. I want you to show your strength in my own personal weakness. God, I want you to develop maturity inside of me. I need to submit myself to God in the midst of the trial. Thirdly, I would say, don't crawl out before God has finished His work in you. God must work this perseverance in us and finish its work so that we can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, the good work that God has begun in you, He's going to bring it to completion. But the way He works in us is He gives us perseverance so that we can remain under that weight and not crawl out from it, you see. God wants us to learn to endure, believing that He's at work inside of us, persevering through the hard times. Fourth, I would say to you, ask God for wisdom. I would say in my lifetime, the number one thing I have asked God for is wisdom, strength to be able to endure, and also wisdom. See, when wisdom is given to you, you can apply knowledge to the situation. It's sort of like the captain navigating the ship through the troubled waters. When you're given wisdom, you know how to navigate through that situation. And going back to the first century church, they were being scattered and persecuted, fleeing their homes. They were like refugees. They didn't know what to do. So, of course, they were asking God for wisdom in that. You see, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without finding fault with them, and it will be given to them. Do you believe that you can ask God for wisdom right now in your situation? Do you believe that if you asked God for wisdom, that God would supply that wisdom to you generously? I call this the crying out to Jesus part. Oftentimes when I'm in a trial, I'll cry out to God for deliverance. How about you? God, deliver me from this. But then my prayer is, God, if you're not going to deliver me, would you give me wisdom? And I learned this from Jesus. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, Father, if it is possible, if it's possible, would you spare me from this trial? It was a prayer of deliverance. And as he waited upon God, it became clear that God wasn't going to deliver him from that trial. 
And then he relinquished his will to the Father, not my will, but your will to be done. Jesus prays before the cross with great anguish there in the dirt, his face, his face down in the dirt. He cried out, God, deliver me. But the Father said no. And he said that there's no way out of this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, first of all, cried out for deliverance, but then he cried out in surrender for wisdom. He was asking God to supply him the wisdom to know what to do next. If any of you lacks wisdom, the good news is you can ask God, and God will generously supply that wisdom to you, not finding fault with you and giving it to you. Fifth, you want to ask God with the intention of doing what he asks you to do. Wow. See, it's possible to ask God and have no intention at all of following how God directs you, right? Jesus said, you want to believe and not doubt, because the person who believes shall say this mountain be moved, and the mountain be moved into the sea. You see, doubt is a question about the power of God to be able to answer that prayer. But when a person truly believes, they ask God with faith, believing that God's going to answer that prayer of theirs, that God's going to give them wisdom to know what to do and not to doubt. Six, we don't want to compare our situation with others. He speaks here about the brother who finds himself in very humble circumstances. He's very poor. The poor are often spoken of as not having resources and being themselves under oppression. He speaks about the brother in humble circumstances, which may be you or I, but having a high position. The high position is that we are the children of God, that we have a father who cares about our situation, that we have a God who can come alongside of us and help us in the situation. We have a God who can release his power into the midst of our situation. And then the brother who is very wealthy, on the other hand, is to be humbled by his situation, not to compare our situation with others. And finally, to realize the reward now and later for perseverance. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed then is the person, the man, the woman, the child, the student. Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, who perseveres in their marriage, who perseveres in their work, who perseveres in their schooling. Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, who perseveres in their sickness, who perseveres in their adversity, who perseveres in their circumstance. Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, because when he or she has stood the test, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to withstand the test. He wants to give you his shalom peace in the test. He wants to impart to you wisdom in the test. He or she will receive the crown of life, that's future, that God has promised to those who love him. 
So, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God allows trials to come into our life. The trials are always tests of our faith. In that test, God wants us to persevere. And as we persevere, we will lack wisdom. We need to ask God for the wisdom to know what to do in our specific situation. But when we ask God for that wisdom, we ask in faith, not doubting, and not comparing our situation to somebody else. And we know there's a blessing as we look back upon that trial that God was at work. I told you about the trial that Debbie and I went through back in 1991. What I didn't tell you about was that my son, six years old, sitting in the back seat, his name's Chris. He's 30 years old now. He's an emergency room doctor. And practically every week of his life, children come in the ER suffering from car accidents. And Chris has an opportunity to love them and treat them as a Christian physician. I didn't tell you about the fact that Debbie was severely hurt, but there was a surgeon in Baltimore who's working on a surgery to address the torn tendon in her foot. And about five years ago, she had that surgery. And the next year, she was in the turkey trot downtown in Frederick. What I'm trying to say to you is this. If you allow God to work, He begins to turn your perspective from that of sorrow to joy. Some of you don't believe me because it just seems so heavy right now. And that's why we need to pray. But pray with me. Let me just ask if you're um, dealing with a trial now in your life, would you just raise your hand? Just, no one's looking, just me. Okay. All right. So, Father, around this room are many in the midst of a trial. It may have great scope to them because it seems invasive and pervasive. It seems all-encompassing. The trial seems to overwhelm us, and we feel anxious and stressed inside because we don't know what to do. Father, I'm going to pray for a great measure of joy to be given to these brothers and sisters in the midst of their trials. Some of us here, Lord, have become cynical. We think that life is just random, random things happening to us, just pain and tragedy all around us. We read the news, we get overwhelmed by what's happening in our world, we get cynical. Father, would you enable us to have a Christian worldview, to let your scriptures inform our hearts, that, God, you, um, you allow trials to happen, but you also supply perseverance and you give wisdom and you're at work in us to produce maturity. Father, may we not resist this work inside of us. May we remain under, relying upon you, not ourselves. May your power be evident in our lives. So, Father, through the Holy Spirit now, I pray for that release of joy and I pray for the grace to be able to persevere in this trial, to gain perspective on it. And we cry out to you now, Lord, for wisdom. Would you pour that wisdom out to us, giving direction to our steps, filling our lives with people around us who can speak that wisdom into us. And we pray now, Lord, that you would give to us peace, the shalom peace you promised, 
a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that you are in control, a confidence, God, you are with us. You've not left us. Father, would you allow us to let this book of James get inside of our hearts and really change us and transform us? We pray in Jesus' name.